0: So we come to this passage Philippians 3 verses 1 through 11 and there's a pretty stark difference we see as if Paul is sprinting one way in this book and stops and then just changes directions on us we see up to this point Paul has been explicitly in chapter 2 talking about Christian unity how the church must serve one another in humble service and that creates a type of unity that shines bright in a dark world. And we come to chapter 3 and it's almost as if Paul says, okay, stop, nope, I have something else to say, right? It's like the person who you're having a conversation with is talking about one thing and a thought comes into their mind and they automatically just out of nowhere change the subject and move on to a different part of the conversation. This is almost what it seems like here, but Paul never writes anything just because it's come to his mind. Paul has a specific reason of why he lays out his letters that he writes, and we're going to see this, that in this passage, what Paul is doing is warning the church of the Judaizing missionaries that have been going around to the different churches Paul has planted preaching a false gospel. And we're going to see Paul use some very explicit language here. We're going to see Paul call these people dogs, evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. Later on in, in this section he's also going to use this word called rubbish it means trash it means dung it means cow poop you get my drift so paul changes his language and not only does he change his language he gets a little animated here too because this is important in galatians paul goes on to say Those who change the gospel should be accursed. Whether it's an angel or whether it's a human being, let them be accursed. Let their flesh be mutilated. Let them be taken out. And so Paul's not joking around with what he's writing right here, because he knows that these Judaizing missionaries are going to come into town at some point. They're going to roll up, and they're going to start preaching a false gospel. And so Paul is warning them. This is why he starts off for us, saying, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And we read that, and we ask, why, Paul? Why do we rejoice in the Lord? And he does something strange here, but Paul is about to lay out his argument of why the Philippian church should be rejoicing in the Lord. Before he does, he wants to give them the problem. So the structure or the argument that Paul is going to use here is here is the problem. Here's an illustration. Here is the solution. Okay? Problem is, illustration, solution. Because what Paul is about to do is Paul is about to make a declaration by saying faith in Christ can only bring you righteousness with God. What we're going to look at today is what's called the doctrine of the imputation of righteousness. Is that Christ imputes or gives you His righteousness. And so Paul tells us Look out! Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Those who will preach this gospel that says you can only be right with God if you are circumcised. You can only be a part of the people of God if on the outside you look like it. Paul calls them dogs here because like dogs, they have no boundaries you ever been outside, minding your own business, and the neighbor's dog just comes running right up to you to greet you? Paul is calling them dogs because dogs do not know personal space, and they just intrude when they would like to. Not only does he then call them dogs, but he calls them evildoers. This is not a term that Paul uses lightly. These people who will come to preach you this gospel aren't just bad people. They're just not misinformed people. These are evil people that want to bring destruction to you. And how is it that they're evil? How do they want to bring destruction? He says they want you to mutilate the flesh or to become circumcised. If you want to be a part of the people of God, you must be circumcised. What does Paul say next? He tells them, this is why you rejoice. Rejoice, here's the problem, for we are the church, the circumcision. How? We worship by the Spirit of God. This is what Jesus tells the woman at the well. Worship the truth and worship the Spirit, but I tell you that there will be one day when we worship in spirit and truth. And how does the Spirit and truth lead us to worship? It leads us to glory in Christ Jesus. Why? Because we put no confident confidence in the flesh. We don't put confidence in the flesh. And so rejoice in the Lord, Paul, starts us off. Because we put no confidence in the flesh like those evildoers, those dogs, those people who are going to come to you to try to get you to mutilate your flesh. We worship by the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God causes us to glory in Christ Jesus because we don't put confidence in the flesh. Why is Paul so explicit about this? Because our hearts are always prone to boast in our flesh. Our hearts are always prone to say, look at what I have. Look at what I can offer you, God. Look at the gain that I've accomplished here. Let's just look at some illustrations. This is not how Adam and Eve respond when they sin. They recognize that they're naked and so what do they do? They sow fig leaves so that they could be more acceptable in the sight of God. After God sends the flood, He tells Noah and his sons, go out, multiply, fill the earth. And what do they do? They go to one location. They build a huge tower and say, look at us, God. We've got things down here under control. We're okay. We're taking care of ourselves. Or what about the Israelites when they go into the wilderness? Moses goes to Mount Sinai and they have a golden calf, we've got it under control. Here's our God. Or what about later? They see the nations with kings and they say, we want a king too. Let us take control of this, God. Look at what we can bring before you. But maybe you're saying, but we have the Spirit of God. Well, did not the church in Galatia have the Spirit of God too? The Galatian church? Was Paul not the one who went there to preach the good news, and yet they still started to fall away to trust in their works. We are, by our human flesh, our sinful nature, legalistic people that want to be independent, to take control and say, look at what I can do, God. Should it surprise us that every other religion that we see you can point to and say it is a works-based religion? Yes, we need to have faith that there is a God, but we must bring something before him. We must somehow be independent enough to say, here are my works, God. Accept me on the basis of them. And yet, Paul is saying, this is not what we proclaim. This is not who we are. We are the people of God who worship by the Spirit to glory in Christ Jesus and we put no confidence in our flesh. None. This is who we are as the church of Christ. This is who community church is. We do not boast in our flesh. We do not boast in our works. We do not boast in the programs we offer or the evangelism that we do. We don't look at a person and say, if you just have these tactics and you just preach or teach like them or share the gospel like them, then somebody will become a Christian. We do not boast about baptisms because we do not boast in the flesh. We do not boast in the flesh. And so here's the illustration that Paul gives. Look, if you think you have room to boast in the flesh, he says, look at me. Well, let's look at Paul. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, guys, I have more. This is what Paul's saying. I've got more confidence in the flesh, Paul has more confidence in his pinky finger than we can have in our whole being. Why is that? Because he was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, circumcision is a huge aspect of the Jewish faith, it's the, Abra- it's the sign and the seal of the Abrahamic covenant. We see this being played out as one of Abraham's sons, the son born of the slave woman, is circumcised when he's 13 years old, but the circumcision of the promised child is circumcised on the eighth day. And so what Paul is saying right here is, look, I have the seal because my parents are faithful to the law. They circumcised me or had me circumcised on the eighth day like a faithful Jewish person, Israelite, would have had. My ethnic background is that of being in Israel. But not only that, within Israel, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Now why is that significant at all? It would be like me saying, I'm from the tribe of Marinette. There's no significance, but here there is because the, the, the very first king of Israel was from the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was faithful to the end when it came to exile. They did not waver. And so what Paul is saying is he's boasting and bragging about that he, being circumcised on the eighth day, he being an Israelite, is a part of the Famous or the warriors, or the most faithful part of Israelite tribes, the tribe of Benjamin. And so what does that make him? That makes him a Hebrew of Hebrews. There's no mixed blood in there. He's not a mud blood. He is a full-out Hebrew of Hebrews. His mom is a Hebrew. His dad is a Hebrew. His ancestors are Hebrews. He is taught. The Hebrew way and the Hebrew language. And so Paul is boasting and saying, Look, here are my given advantages. God placed me to be circumcised on the eighth day, to be born in the tribe of, or, or to be born an Israelite, the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. These are my given advantages by God Himself. But Paul goes on yet even more. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. Intellectually and practically, I know the law like the back of my hand. Did you know that in order to be a Pharisee, you must memorize the first five books of the Bible? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's a lot of memorization. If you wanted to be a Pharisee, you had to know those five books and memorize them. Paul knew all of the theological jargon. As to the law, he was a Pharisee. As to the zeal, we've seen the the Apostle Paul before he became Paul was Saul and persecuted the church. As they laid their robes down at his feet at the murder of Stephen. Paul's zeal, his being sold out for the cause of God, his radicalness led him to be a persecutor of the church. He threw kids and parents and others into prison. He took moms from children and allowed fathers to be murdered. Paul was zealous against the church. But not only was he zealous against the church, But as to righteousness under the law, he claims to be blameless. Now, Paul here isn't saying that he's perfect, but he is saying, according to all of even the minor, minute laws that over a period of a couple of centuries, the Pharisees started implementing, so meaning this, thou shalt not steal. So in order to not steal, I just won't interact with or go to another person's house just in case if I might be tempted to steal. And if you go over to another person's house, this is just an illustration. I've got no clue if this is even a real law that they had. But in order to not be tempted to steal, I'm just not even going to go over to that house. So Paul is saying even... To the most minute aspects of the law, I'm blameless. So, Paul has given advantages and Paul has worked for advantages, all to be seen as righteous or right with God. Paul, on his day of judgment, is hoping. That he can lay these down and bring them forward to God and say, I trusted you, and here's how I did everything to earn my right standing with you. But don't we do similar things as Christians? Don't we heap also unnecessary burdens on one another? Don't we say things like, well, you aren't a Christian unless you pray this prayer? And we look at this prayer as if that's the saving aspect of my faith? You know, what Paul is saying here is this. I I heard it said like this. I love this saying. It's a clever little saying. What Paul is saying I don't drink, I don't smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't go out with girls who do. I'm blameless. I'm perfect. Well, not perfect. I'm I'm blameless. I'm righteous in the sight of God. And this leads to a legalistic heart. But just in case if we think that legalism is a bunch of don'ts and we think of the old independent fundamental Baptist church, Or the old just fundamental style of church that just says, if you just don't do this, then you're closer to God. We see a new type of fundamental church that's a little more attractive that says, if you just do these things, then you'll be closer to God. And this is what Paul is saying here. It's Okay, I I just didn't do these things or I just did these things and this is what I can bring before God to say I can gain paradise. I can gain you, God. This is the life of Paul. He worked for it since a young age. There is no work that Paul could have done. There is no work that you can do to pay off your debt with God. There's no Magic prayer that you can pray. Because we all fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinful by nature, as God says, about his very own people. Every thought and inclination of man is evil. And Paul even recognizes this in in Romans when he says... The law actually reveals my sin to me. I was trying and striving day by day by day to live according to the law and all the law did was condemn me in the sight of God. All of my works, all of my good deeds condemned me. And so what does Paul say next? He says, look, if these people are going to come in and they're going to say, mutilate your flesh, I've got reason to boast more about it. And then he makes this staggering, he's willing to cut off everything, this staggering reality. But whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Do you know what Paul was giving up? He was giving up status, authority. Paul was giving up even his own family heritage. Paul was giving up any independent self-righteousness that he had. Why? For the sake of Christ. But what, Paul, what, Paul, exactly did you give up? Because I I could probably keep on a few things, right? I can keep a few of those things, can't I? And Paul here says, Indeed, I counted everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I've given up all of it, everything, for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. What's so important about knowing Christ Jesus? When we know Christ Jesus, we gain Christ. He counts all of that as garbage, as trash. As dung. Everything he once had. Being circumcised on the eighth day. Being an Israelite. Being born in the tribe of Benjamin. Being blameless according to the law. A zeal, a persecutor. As to the law, a Pharisee. He calls all of it as rubbish. That's what he counts it as. Rubbish. Now he doesn't see it as evil. He sees it as rubbish. This won't gain me. Anything with God. Okay, Paul. If none of these things gain me anything with God, what does? There's a problem. We can all see the problem of this world, can't we? Day by day, striving after. The wind, day by day, working, yet always being unsatisfied. And so what is Paul's solution? He says that when I give up everything, I gain Christ. And when I gain Christ, I would be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. My good works, your good works, they do not produce the righteousness, the right standing that we need with God. What is righteousness? Righteousness is the reality that we need to live as God has called us to live. Righteousness means that we are called to be blameless and holy just as God is to be blameless and holy. Righteousness means having a right standing with God. And what Paul is saying is that we cannot do that by any of our good works. Look, there are even in the the Protestant church, There are things that people say you must speak in tongues in order to be a Christian. You must be baptized in order to be a Christian. There's no possible way that you can be a Christian and not a Republican. But none of those things gain an advantage for salvation. We need a righteousness that comes from outside of us because we cannot do enough to be right with God. And so what happens? The Father sends His Son. We have been called to live a life according to the righteous requirement of the law, and we can't do that. We're broken. We're flawed. But Jesus can and Jesus has. He fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law, living a blameless life. And when he went to the cross, he was unjustly murdered. He was unjustly accused. But he laid down his life for the sake of his people so that those who would Call out to him in faith and repent of their sins, could be justified, could be made right with God. And on the basis of that justification being made right with God, being made holy, you are declared then righteous with God. You are declared right with God. And this is what Paul is saying right here: is that my gain of my external works. They gained me nothing in this life. But faith in Christ gains me a right standing with God. It says it right here, doesn't it? Being found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. My righteousness doesn't come from these these outside works. Okay, Paul, where does it come from? That which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. On that day when you put your faith in Christ, what happens is this. That he who knew no sin took all of your sin so that you could take all of his righteousness. It's faith in Christ that makes you right with God, not any good work. It's faith in Christ that allows you to come before him and say, here I am, God, take me. And so here are the two things that we need to be aware of then. Is that it is easy for us as Christians to slowly start to drift and say, look at what I'm doing, God. Here are all of these things So when we start to believe, or when we start to look at our life and things start to explode, we start to believe because I'm not doing enough good things. So God must be punishing me for some reason. Or when things start to go right, we get big-headed and say, obviously I must be doing something right because God's blessing me. We start to say, well, look at all of these things of me attending all of these programs, these Bible studies, these prayer meetings, these church services. I read my Bible every morning. I pray every night. Those are good things, but what Paul is saying, those are things we should do. Paul is saying, though, those won't gain you salvation. But the church and the people of God always have a tendency to go that way. And here's the good news for others. is that there is nothing that you have done in your life that Christ cannot save you. There is no bad thing you have ever done where Jesus won't say, get away from me. Because righteousness with God depends on faith in God, not your works. And so if you're here this morning and you're you're thinking, God would never accept me on the basis of who I am. I've done some pretty shady and bad things. Paul would say, so have I. I murdered people for God. And yet it's not my works, but my faith that he makes, that he sees me. It's my faith in Jesus that makes me right with him. That's what it is. It's faith. It's faith that comes from God. It's faith in Jesus that makes us right with God. So here's the thing. Both parties, you can't bring anything to God. You just have to come to him. Or maybe put like this. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. You see, we can... Rejoice in the Lord because our righteousness, our right standing with God does not depend on what we can bring or offer God. Faith in Christ makes righteousness possible. So let that be the message of our lives for the rest of the time we walk here on earth. That God accepts me based off of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And that's what I'll trust. That's what I'm going to trust. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word which shows us that we are not good and yet you sent your Jesus, you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins, to reconcile us, to make things right. Jesus, you you right the wrong and so we will continue to cling to you, continue to look to you It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.